0: John chapter 1 is where we are today, so if you have your Bibles open with me there, we're going to take a little bit of a break from our time going through the book of Acts together. You know, we've been in a, a years-long series now, the, really spent all of 2020 going through the book of Acts, and take a little bit of a break, and we'll jump back into it uh, sometime in the new year. But we're going to focus on, over the next few weeks, some things having to do with Christmas, the season that we're in, and then moving into the new year, uh, just really laying a foundation for uh, 2021 uh, for all of us. How many of you love Christmas? Isn't it just the best time of the year? I mean, how many of you start celebrating Christmas in October? You get your Christmas lights up. Anybody? No? Did anybody have your Christmas tree up by Thanksgiving? Yeah, there's some. There's some. I know. There's always a few of you. You know. You're. You're just. You can't wait for Christmas. I love Christmas. I think it is the best time of the year. I wish that every month of the year could be December because I I just love Christmas. Last night I took my kids. We loaded up the minivan, and we put on the Christmas carols. And we were driving through some neighborhoods near our house that just have lots and lots of Christmas lights. Just in awe of, of what everybody does to decorate uh, their lawn. The, the winner definitely had to be the family that spent probably $700 on blow-up Star Wars. Uh, they had like six Darth Vaders out there. It was, I don't know what that has to do with Christmas, but it was quite the spectacle. That was my kid's favorite anyway. Um, so anyway, uh, if, uh, Christmas is a wonderful time of year. And, and as we think about Christmas, You know, we think typically about Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus and being born in a manger. We think about uh, Matthew's gospel that really tells Joseph's story and how Joseph reacted to the news that his virgin fiance was pregnant and how he was about to call the whole wedding off because his fiance had come up with this crazy story that God had gotten her pregnant. And so he was about to say, "Yeah, right. Uh, you and your boyfriend can go and have a nice life." But the Holy Spirit showed up, and the angel came and spoke to Joseph and said, "Don't worry. She's telling you the truth. That the, what is conceived in her really is of the Holy Spirit." That's Matthew's gospel that really tells us Joseph's perspective. Luke's gospel, of course, tells us Mary's perspective, and and how the angel came to her and told her that she was going to have a baby and that the Holy Spirit was going to conceive the Savior of mankind within her womb and, and telling about how the angels appeared to the shepherds in the field and how Mary and Joseph had to go on this long journey 100 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem on foot, right? A nine-month pregnant woman uh, traveling on foot a 100 miles. That is a miracle, by the way. That is an absolute miracle. Some people think the virgin birth is the greatest miracle. I, that 100-mile that that, that journey of a nine-month pregnant woman is pretty miraculous, uh, if, if you ask me. But we typically think of these things when we think of the birth of Christ. But today I want to look at John's Gospel, which talks about the birth of Christ in, in a, not so much about the details surrounding his birth, but really what it means, what, what all of this was about. Because when you read the other stories, you can tell very quickly that this is not a normal baby. Th- this is not a normal birth. That the, the events uh, that are surrounding the birth of this child are unusual. But John's gospel really tells us, it goes behind the scenes to help us understand what I believe is the greatest miracle of Christmas, even greater than the virgin birth. And so John chapter 1, I'm going to read this first section for us today, and then we'll unpack a little bit of what it means. John writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So this word that was with God and was God, John goes on to tell us that this word is not just a concept. This word is not just an idea. This word is not just a thought. When God, when John goes to on to tell us that this word is a he, it's telling us that this is a person, that this is a person who is the word. So who is this person? Who is this word who was with God and who was God? He goes on to tell us that all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Okay, So this person who is the word is the creator of of all things. Everything that has been made and has been created was created through the word. He goes on to tell us that in him was life, and the life was the light of men. That this word, who is a person, who is the creator of all things, is also the source of all life. That we are alive today, you are alive today, because your life has sprung forth, has proceeded forth from this eternal person who John identifies as the word. He goes on to say that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. He says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He's speaking here of John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. This is Christmas. This is what we celebrate. The birth of Christ, the Word, God, the Creator, the source of life itself, coming now into the world, coming now into his creation. He was in the world And the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, because he was before me. What John there is saying is though Jesus is, was born after me in the flesh, he's actually before me because before he was born in the flesh, he existed for all eternity and eternity past with the father. And it says, and from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. How many of you, that's your testimony from the the fullness of Christ, you have only received grace upon grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the name of this person, this word who was with God, this word who was God, this word who was there at the beginning, this word who created all things, this word who is the source of all life, his name is Jesus. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Jesus, who was with God, who is God, has revealed to us who God fully and truly is. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, as we spend time in your word, I pray that your light, the light of Jesus, that it would illuminate our hearts, that it would enlighten us. It would, it would help us to see clearly who you are, first and foremost, the creator, the source of life, the God of grace and truth, the, the source of, of everything good and everything lovely and everything wholesome and everything perfect. Lord, that we would see who Jesus is, your Son, who came on that night, born of the Virgin, who came to bring light to humanity, living in darkness, who came to show us the way how to live, who came to give up his life so that we might, in exchange, receive his righteousness, who rose again on the third day, granting to all who would believe in him life and life eternal. Lord, help us. To live in this reality, the reality of Christ, the light of Christ, the love of Christ, and to walk it out each and every single day. In Jesus' name, amen. I truly believe that this is not only the greatest miracle of Christmas, but the incarnation, God became flesh, is the greatest miracle in all the Bible. There's nothing more astonishing, there's nothing more shocking. Of all of the astonishing and and shocking claims of the Bible, of all of the miracles, of all of the things that, that we see in this book that some people have a hard time believing, there is none greater than God become flesh. God taking to himself human flesh, being born as a baby, not coming with the fanfare of a king, not being born in a palace, but being born in humility, in humiliation. Humiliation to even be born as a human, to add to his divinity, humanity, to be linked for all eternity with humanity in this way is the greatest condensation. God, condescending to our level and to be born as a baby What humiliation, and again, not in a castle, not to a royal family, but to peasants, to poor people who couldn't, would not even be given, shown the common courtesy of being given a room to hold their baby, born in a stable, laid in a manger. This God who created all things, the king of the universe, Worshipped and exalted in heaven by multitudes of multitudes of angels and angelic hosts. Born with no one there to see, no one there to watch, but a few cows and a few shepherds that came that night. The humility of God coming to save his people is shocking. It is the greatest miracle in the Bible. And John describes this miracle with the, with the language of light coming into darkness, of, of light was coming into the world and that there was darkness in the world. And it throws us back, it, it brings us back, it reminds us of that first few pages of the Bible, the, the creation story where Moses pins for us the, the account of God creating the world. And the first thing that God does as his act of creation is he speaks his word and says, let there be light. When God begins his creative process in the very beginning, he begins by bringing light into darkness. And here John is saying again, God is bringing his light into our darkness. John saying that God is about to recreate things. A, a new creation is coming. A, a new humanity is on the way. A humanity not born, descended uh, just from a, 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 an earthly lineage or, or by blood, but a humanity that is born again by the Spirit of God. A new creation is coming. And it all begins with the Word, this person, Jesus, the Son of God, coming into the world. And John uses this language of light and darkness. Now this, this story of, of God coming to humanity, of, of, of Word made flesh and dwelling among us, of God dwelling with his people, as you read the Bible, th- this is not a new idea. If you read the story of the Bible starting with Genesis all the way up until where we are in in the story with Jesus, this is not a new concept at all. In fact, this word dwelt, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. You'll be interested to know that that word dwelt is actually the word tabernacle. It's the same word that God used to describe the place where his presence dwelled in the Old Testament. God living among his people, God dwelling with his people. It's saying that Jesus is now the the fullness, the fulfillment of the desire that God has had all along to dwell with and to be in relationship with and to be known by and to know humanity. And as we go back, if, if we go on this journey, I want to take you on a little journey through the Old Testament this morning. I want to look at four different people and four different instances in which God desired to dwell with his people, in which God pursued humanity, which God came after humanity in love and grace and mercy. And I want to show you how Jesus coming into the world is the fulfillment of the plan and purpose of God that began some 4,000 years before that night in Bethlehem. The first, of course, is Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, who were the first Uh, human beings are our first parents the the first uh, created in the image of God that God created man and woman he created Adam and Eve he placed them in a garden he gave them dominion over the world he created he walked with them he he dwelt with them in the garden of Eden which is a picture of the tabernacle which is a picture of the temple which is a picture of Jesus and the fulfillment of God dwelling with his people in Eden. When you go all the way to the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation, again, it's this picture of Eden restored and Eden filling the whole earth and humanity living again with God and in God's presence. Adam and Eve, of course, we know the story. They, they did not obey God. They did not follow God. They did not want to live under God's rule and God's authority. They did not want to live in submission to the Father. But instead, they believed the lie of Satan, which he said that you can be like God yourself. You can be your own God. You can determine your own path. You can go your own way. You can follow your own heart. He told Eve, you only live once, eat the apple. And she did. She was deceived. She was led to believe this lie of Satan. She, of course, gave the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil to her husband, Adam, who ate it as well. And God had told them that if you eat of this tree, the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. God had told them the consequences. He had instructed them. He had had showed them the path of life. He had showed them the path to the tree of life. But instead of eating from the tree of life, they chose the tree of death. And in that moment, the Bible says that they were covered with shame that their eyes were open, that they felt this nakedness upon them, that the sin and the shame and the guilt and the consequence of sin fell upon them in that moment, and they tried to hide themselves from God. They ran from God. But what we see God doing is God comes and pursues them in grace and mercy. And so while they're hiding in shame, God calls out to them, Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? And God comes to them, and and though they had rebelled against God and led all of humanity into now rebellion against God, God comes to them with grace and mercy. And if you read that story in Genesis 3, you you might not see grace and mercy because what you will also see is judgment. Judgment. But I want to highlight for you the grace and mercy that is in this story. Because God had told them that on the day they eat of that fruit that they would die. But instead of requiring their life from them that day, God instead took the life of a substitute. God took the life of an animal that day. And he clothed them in their nakedness. He clothed them with the skin of that animal. Of course, that foreshadows for us the Lamb of God, the spotless Lamb of God who would one day take our place, who would one day be our substitute and that we one day would not be clothed in our own righteousness, which is as filthy rags, but that we would be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so God comes to them in grace and mercy. He he takes the life of a substitute foreshadowing Christ. He clothes them in the skin of this animal, foreshadowing Christ. And then he speaks about a redeemer who will come. In speaking to Satan in Genesis three fifteen, God says, I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. God says that there's a war that's going to rage between the offspring of of Adam and Eve, the seed of the woman, and a war that's going to rage between Satan and her offspring. But there is coming a redeemer, there's coming a deliverer, there's coming one who will have his heel bruised, but he will crush the head of Satan. This is what's known as the first proclamation of the good news in all the Bible. It's what theologians call the proto-evangelum, the first gospel presentation, that there is a redeemer coming, that, that through the offspring of the woman, there will be one who comes to redeem humanity. And so some 4,000 years before Christ, humanity now in sin, dead in their trespasses, separated from God, cast from his presence because God is a holy God, yet God gives the promise of a redeemer and humanity begins looking for, begins waiting for this redeemer. Who will this redeemer be? Who will this savior be? Adam and Eve have a son, a child, their their firstborn Eve names him Cain, which means I have received a son from the Lord. What that tells us is that Eve was putting her hope in Cain to be the redeemer, to be the child who would reverse the curse, who would break the bonds of sin, who would crush the head of Satan. But as we know the story, Cain is not the redeemer. Cain is far from it. Cain, of course, follows in the footsteps of his father, Adam. Cain becoming the first murderer, lifting his hand against his own brother and shedding his own brother's blood. Cain is not the redeemer. He is not the seed that we are hoping for. As the story continues some thousand years later, generation after generation after generation after generation, Humanity going deeper and darker, deeper and, and further into darkness. There's a pagan man, an idolater, an idol worshiper, a liar, who does not follow God, who does not serve God. His name is Abram. God appears to this man, Abram, calls him out of darkness and into light. God pursues Abram in love and grace and mercy. God changes his name to Abraham, which means the father of a multitude of nations. Abraham, who, though he walked with God and though he followed God in faith, he still continued in his pattern of of lying and deception. And even at times saying that his own wife was his sister and just really some nasty stuff that ended up happening Nevertheless, God pursues Abraham with grace and with a blessing and with the blessing of a child. In Genesis twenty-two eighteen, 18, God tells Abraham, through your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Abraham and Sarah, they have a miracle baby when Abraham Is a hundred years old and Sarah is 90 years old. They named this baby Isaac, which means laughter. Is Isaac the Redeemer? Is Isaac the seed of the woman? Will Isaac be the offspring through which all the nations of the world will be blessed? Isaac, like his father Abraham and like his fathers before him, also enters into sin. Isaac. Though God had told Isaac to bless his son Jacob, Isaac rebels against God and hardens his heart against God and tries to bless his son Esau. Isaac disobeys God. Isaac is not the redeemer. As the story continues, we find God's people, the people of Israel, in slavery under the the, 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 Tyranny of Pharaoh enslaved in Egypt. God's people begin to cry out for salvation, to begin to cry out for a deliverer. God in grace and mercy goes to a man who is a murderer, who is an exile, who is washed up, living in a desert for the last 40 years. God pursues Moses to be the redeemer of his people to lead them out of Egypt. But Moses is not the Redeemer that God's people have been waiting for. Moses himself entering into sin. Moses himself striking the rock in the wilderness. But God comes to Moses and through Moses brings more clarity and focus about who the Redeemer will be Deuteronomy 18, 15, through Moses, God says, The Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your people, from your brothers. It is to him that you shall listen. Who will this prophet be? This prophet who will proclaim perfectly the word of God. Who will this offspring be? Who will this seed be? In the course of time, God's people are established in in their own land. The land of Canaan becomes the nation of Israel. God raises up a young man, a a warrior, a man after his own heart, a king, a man named David. Is David the redeemer? Is David the prophet? Is David the, the one, the seed of the woman? Is David the offspring who will bless the nations? Is he the one? that we've been waiting for. David becomes a liar and an adulterer and himself ultimately a murderer. David is not the offspring that we're waiting for. Nevertheless, though David has lied and cheated and murdered, God comes to David with grace and with blessing. In 1st Chronicles 17 God makes this promise to David. He says, David, when you pass away, when your days are fulfilled and you go to your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom and he shall build a house for me and I will establish his throne forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. I will not take my steadfast love from him as I took it from him who was before you, but I will confirm him in my house and in my kingdom forever. And his throne shall be established forever. God makes this promise to David. He says, from one of your own sons, I will raise up a king who will establish the kingdom of God and his kingdom will be without end. His kingdom will last forever. His reign will fill the world and fill the nations. Who will this son be? This son of David. Will it be Solomon? Solomon who who builds the Lord's house, who builds the temple. God's presence fills the temple. Is it Solomon? Is he the king that we're waiting for? Solomon himself entering into sin. Marrying some thousand wives. His heart being led astray into idolatry. His heart that started out so well as singularly devoted to worship of Yahweh, the Lord, the one true God. At the end of his life, Solomon is an idolater. Solomon is not the king that we're waiting for. And so for thousands of years, This consistent theme develops all throughout the story of the Bible that God's people fail, that God's people fall, that God's people sin, but God pursues them in grace and mercy and with the promise of a future redeemer. Who is this future redeemer? Who is this seed of the woman Who is this offspring of Abraham that will be a blessing to the nations? Who is this prophet who will perfectly declare the word of God? Who is this king who will establish a kingdom without end? For 4,000 years, God's people wait for this promised son, prophet, and king. And while it wasn't always clear what God was doing In the Old Testament, the people that lived through those times and those seasons, it was foggy. It wasn't clear. There was this promise of a Redeemer, but who was it to be and when would they come? And time after time, they put their hope and their faith and their trust in people who would only ultimately let them down. Why was God taking so long? This didn't always make sense. Paul, the apostle, calls this period of time, this period of waiting, the Old Testament, he calls it a great mystery that has now been revealed in Christ Jesus. In Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5, Paul says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. You see, when Jesus finally came into the world, it all makes sense. It all comes together. Everything that God had been doing, working through Adam and Eve, working through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, working through the children of Israel in slavery, working through Moses bringing deliverance, through the kings of Israel, through the prophets of Israel, all pointing towards foreshadowing the perfect Son, the perfect Lamb, the perfect Redeemer, the perfect prophet, and the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You see, it's in Christ that all of this makes sense. It's in Jesus and His work and His life and His death and his resurrection, that all of this becomes perfectly clear. And Jesus is the Savior. He is the Redeemer. He is the seed of the woman. He he is the offspring of Abraham. He is the, the prophet that Moses talked about. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he's not only the Savior of just the Jewish people, he is the Savior of the whole world, Jew and Gentile alike, the savior of all mankind. And the Bible just tells the story of God coming close to humanity, coming near to humanity. It is this story told time and time and time again. And the incarnation where God now himself comes is the, fullness, the fullest expression of the desire of God to be united, to be close with his image bearers. Christmas is not just the story of a baby born in a manger. Christmas is not just the story of what happened in Bethlehem. Christmas is the story of the plan and purpose of God that began 4,000 years earlier and even began in eternity past. It is the fulfillment of every promise of God It is the fruition of everything God has been doing in human history coming perfectly to completion in Christ. Christmas is the beginning of the fulfillment of the plan and purpose that humanity has been waiting for. Jesus is not just any baby. He's not just any baby. Seed. He's not just any offspring. He is the very son of God. Jesus is not just any prophet who declared God's word. Jesus is God himself. The word became flesh, perfectly declaring the word of God. Jesus is not just any human king with all of their faults and failures and weaknesses. No, Jesus is God himself, king of all creation, king of the universe, king of the cosmos, king of kings and Lord of lords, who rules the nations with perfect righteousness and perfect justice. And just as the story of the Old Testament is incomplete without Jesus, just as the story of the Old Testament doesn't make sense It isn't clear without Jesus. So are our lives today. So is the story of your life incomplete without Jesus. The story of your life will not make sense without the light of Jesus coming into your heart, coming into your life, his revelation, his light shining forth Without Jesus nothing in life makes sense. But with Christ and his light and the promise of God's word, it shows us how our lives make sense and where they fit into the plan and the purpose of God. I truly believe with all of my heart that your life will make no sense until you begin to see your light, your life and walk it out in the light of Jesus Christ. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. John tells the story about how his own people rejected him. The people who should have recognized him and submitted to him, they reject him. But... To all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, that's talking about a human bloodline, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. What this is telling us is that it doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what your history is. It doesn't matter who your parents were, whether your parents were pastors or whether your parents are in prison somewhere because they're criminals. What matters is that you put your faith in Jesus Christ. That's what matters. It's not just for a small select group of people. It's for all who would believe upon him. And now that the light of of Christ has come into the world since that time, God is recreating humanity again in his own image. And now God calls on all humanity, all peoples everywhere to turn from darkness and to turn to the light of Jesus Christ, to repent of sin, to turn from rebellion, to turn from following the pattern of Adam and all of those who have fallen into sin and to follow the pattern, the life of Jesus Christ and to follow his pattern of submission to the Father. Listen, Jesus is the only way to be reconciled to God. Jesus is is the only way to have your sins forgiven. Jesus is the only way to escape the curse of sin Because he became a curse for us on that tree as he hung on the cross. Your sins, your shame, your brokenness placed on him so that you might be clothed in his grace and mercy and ultimately his righteousness. But you must put your faith in Christ. You must allow his light to flood your soul. You must repent of sin. The Bible declares to us that all have sinned and fallen short of God. Like Adam, God is calling out to you today. Where are you? Like Abraham, God is extending grace and mercy to you today. Turn to him, call out to him for salvation. The Bible says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There is salvation in no other name. There's there's not another path. There's not a plan B. There's not some sort of back door into heaven. There's only one door. Jesus himself said, I am the door. Jesus himself said, I am the way. Jesus himself said, I am the light. Jesus is the lamb who was slain for the sins of the world. And for those of us who have received Christ, which I believe is probably the vast majority of us today, 1 John 1 7 declares to us, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. You know, it's not just enough to receive the light. We must also then walk in the light of Jesus. We cannot receive the light and continue to live in darkness. We cannot receive the forgiveness of sins, new creation, clothed in the righteousness of God, but continue to live in sin. We must also walk in the light as he is in the light. Jesus is our Savior, Jesus is our Redeemer, Jesus is our King, but Jesus is also our example. And through the life that Jesus lived, he showed us how we are to live our lives. He lived a life of submission completely, totally to the Father, never once sinning, never once disobeying God. His heart was always to please and to serve his Father we too must walk in that life, must walk in that pattern of submission to the Father. Jesus also showed us to love not only God by obeying his commandments, but to also love our neighbor as ourselves. This is the great pattern that Jesus showed us. This is his great example to us, love for God and love for neighbor And this is what it means to walk in the light. Jesus is not just a baby born in a manger. Jesus is the fulfillment of the plan and purpose of God from eternity past at the fullness of time. Jesus came to save the world. I hope you will receive Jesus Christ if you have not already. Turn to him. I implore you. Turn to Christ. Call out to Jesus today. Do not let this moment of him shining his light into your life pass you by. And for those of us who walk with the Lord, let's walk in the light. Amen? Let's live a life of submission to the Father, of submission to God's Word, of loving our neighbor as ourselves. In the season where we look at the lights and we admire the, the decorations and we're reminded by the carols of, of the majesty and the miracle of Christmas, God with us. Let us also remember the example that Jesus gave us, loving God, submission to him and to love our neighbor as ourself. Let's look for opportunities to shine for Jesus. There's so many hurting people around us We can shine the light that Jesus shines in our heart as we love and serve and give. It is the way that Jesus showed us how to live. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that it truly is a lamp unto our feet. It it truly does show us who you are. Lord, your grace and your mercy that you have been pursuing humanity from the beginning with grace and with mercy. Lord, for those who are here today who, who have yet to turn to you, who have yet to call out to you, who have yet to turn from darkness to light, Lord, that your light, the light of the Holy Spirit, the conviction of God would fall upon them right now and that they would call out to you for salvation. Jesus, the only name that can save. Lord, for those of us who have called out to you and who have trusted in you, who have repented of our sin, Lord, that you would help us through the power of your spirit to walk with you each and every day. Lord, that your light would shine in our lives, that we would, would see how you have pursued us with, with uh, uh, redemption and pursued us with grace. That You would help us to love you and to obey you, and to love our neighbor as ourself, to, to serve those around us sacrificially, to bless those around us that cannot even give us anything in return. Lord, we thank you for your work in our lives, your work of redemption, your work of substitution, your work of righteousness and clothing us. Lord, today that we can be your sons and your daughters as you have welcomed us into your family. Lord, help us to live as Jesus lived. Help us to be the hands and the feet of you extended to a lost and dying world with the hope that we have of salvation in Christ It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap today.